Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society might contribute to distorted thinking. I'm Jillian Lambert. I'm your guest host for this episode of, uh, pod- of Piecemeal Podcast, our special live, first ever live podcast we're very excited about. And we're joined by two amazing human beings, Jesse Diggins and Jana Shardall. So we're really thrilled to have Jesse and Jana with us today and share this time with us. So first, let me tell you a little bit about them. I know that you all probably know lots about them, but I think they're simply wonderful people, so I want to talk about them a little. So Jesse, Jesse Diggins is is many fabulous things for sure, and among them, winner of the first U.S. Olympic gold medal in cross-country skiing. A feat she accomplished with her teammate Keegan Randall in the 2018 Winter Olympics. She's also really passionate about body image issues and ways to talk to young people about their bodies and their well-being in ways that aren't unintentionally damaging and can be actually helpful. And then Jana Shortall, who's also an amazing human being. And an Emmy Award-winning journalist and anchor, Carol Evans, Breaking the News, Jan has received national attention for sharing her story of really being herself in a television anchor environment with lots of uh, appearance norms. And she, I think, has an inspiring story of sort of self-love and self-confidence in a world where that can be a little tricky sometimes. So I'm thrilled to have them here. My first question for each of them is to... Uh, Think about, uh, sort of just tell us a little bit about why being part of this podcast is important to you. So who wants to go first? Sure. <laughs> um, I really wanted to get on the podcast thing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, I made it a, a general rule after I, I met Jillian to, to chime in anytime I could. And for me, this is both, yes, many of the things that you said, they're true. It's been this journey of self-exploration publicly uh, for me for the last several years, but to be honest, it's been for 30 some odd years. And a lot, I think my journey started to get its hiccups when I was eight or nine years old, and I went into treatment for an eating disorder when I was 13. And so for me, uh, to be able to overcome and live with and survive and have a story in so many different spaces about body image, I think it's important for me to share that and not keep that a secret. So uh, I haven't really ever talked about it. I mean, you and I have talked about it privately, but publicly not so much. I've never lied about it, but it it is a part of of my story as well. And and that story came from running towards being somebody that was defined by really nobody out in this ether and trying to be this perfect version that um, ultimately I figured out by the time I was 40, I was never going to get to. And that I was just fine as I am. Um, But I think that, so my point is, is that for me, at least in my story, it didn't end at 14 or 15 or 22 or 35. I'm 42 now, and we're still on this journey of of figuring out who we are, all of us, um, no matter our gender, no matter our age. And I think once we be, be honest with each other that we can have good days and bad days and and that you can struggle and you can win gold medals and you can win Emmys and you can hit the bottom and bounce right back up, I think we all do better that way. Awesome. I totally agree. I think that um, I'm here because 
the journey hasn't been perfect. And that's the whole point. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm also here because, you know, I... Um, you can't see this on the on the recorded podcast, but I have glitter all over my face <laughs> and probably up my nose. And I just came from a roller ski event, and I see a lot of skiers here. And it was so cool to see so many people inspired and so many little kids who are like, yeah, I'm going to train hard. I want to do that. And I have no doubt that they can. And when I was their age watching ski races, I needed someone to tell me, hey, you know, you don't have to be perfect to win. You can make mistakes. You can, you know, not love yourself every single day, but find a way to be okay with who you are and you can still win mm -hmm. without having to feel perfect all the time. And I needed that and I, I didn't really have that. So I'm trying to pay it forward and make sure that the next generation hears from me that like, hey, um, I'm someone who did reach the highest levels of success in sport and I had so many low moments before I got there and so many moments of struggle and it's okay to struggle and it's okay to have problems and it's okay to have some tough days and it's okay to ask for help to get through those. Awesome, thank you. So we're talking today about making peace with ourselves. That's one of our, one of our themes to try to figure out how do we make peace with ourselves. But what do you think, let's just start with what do you think makes that challenging? in the world? I think we get completely mixed messages all the time. I mean, what you just heard Jesse say, I wish we had heard more and more, um, but we don't hear that as much. We're taught to be, to borrow from our friend, Dr. Brene Brown, we're taught that vulnerability is a weakness. We're taught that to, and, and, what fascinates me about that and when I think about that is that when we look at people like Jessie, I bet her story is really inspiring because you get to see all of its peaks and valleys. When you go see a movie about sports, when you hear about a team, when you love an artist, read a book, love a song, there's usually struggle in there, there's a journey in there. So we have this very strange relationship with what we admire in a story and what really moves us and then what we expect of ourselves. It's unrealistic in so many ways. In work, in sleep, there's this whole narrative of like it's really cool if you only sleep four hours and you work so hard and that's all you need. No, you don't. <laughs> that's a lie and it's unhealthy. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you need sleep. You need to take breaks. You need mental health as human health. Mm -hmm. You need, I think that we have to reteach ourselves uh, against messages that were sold to us about what it means to work hard, what it means to be perfect. Especially in sport and work, I think they can be kind of the same thing and in appearance. We can hear what people say to us, be who you are, and then we can see the messages media gives us that shows us something we might not be able to achieve. So it's hard that, I think there's a disconnect between our hearts and our minds, yeah. and we have to make peace with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And everywhere you look, there are signs showing you that you shouldn't be content with who you are. And there's so many businesses and industries that make their living off of, hey, you need to have a butt like Kim Kardashian, but also lips like this other person, and also hair like this, and also be incredibly tan, so go get a spray tan. And there's just, there's so many things that are totally unrealistic. And you don't need to look like some standard that Hollywood has put out there, but there's all these messages all the time. You just, you're driving into the city, you see different billboards showing you like these messages subliminally, like here's 
how you should be. Here's what you should look like. Here's what you should strive for. And like, you know, like I love watching Disney movies. Nothing against Disney, but like usually the princess, her job is to marry the guy. <laughs> that's right. Keep right. going. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's her job in life. It's like, great job, sweetie. You did it. You're so beautiful. You married the right guy. And that's really upsetting to me. And so it's just, I think it's time that we make sure that we talk about it and tell people like, hey, you don't have to compare yourself on social media to someone else. And social media is also tough because it's everyone's highlight reel. And that's fine. And that's great. Like, I do it too. That's how I make a living as a skier. <laughs> um, Wouldn't so. it be funny if it's like your Instagram's like, I got cream today. <laughs> I got last place at the Olympics. My time so was the awesome. worst ever recorded. <laughs> I mean, I have had a few of those. <laughs> but I think it is cool to know that, like, when you look on social media, you just have to recognize that it may be real. It might be not. It might be edited. But, like, it's everyone's highlight reel. It's everyone's best foot forward. It's everyone's marketing approach in the world. And that's totally fine as long as you know when you look at someone's page they have bad days. They're just not posting about it. Right. But their life isn't this perfect, you know, one vacation after the next and one victory after the next. They have really tough times and they struggle as well. And so just filling in that gap in your brain to know that, you know, what you see on social media, what you see in movies and stuff, it, real life has a lot more to it. And so not expecting your life to look like that. Yeah, and I think just to, to answer, I probably didn't answer your question, Jillian, in terms of making peace in that way, and I think I hear Jesse saying something similar. I started to make peace with myself when I started to actually be honest with myself. And so tell these stories that aren't altogether, you know, what society may deem as flattering. Um, just the other day, I, I shared on social media trying to be funny that I have ulcerative colitis. And um, people are like, that's gross. I'm like, it's okay, well, like, but whatever, like, um, being honest about who I am, being honest about how I want to present my gender, being honest about being a queer woman, being honest that, like, I don't fit traditional gender norms, and when I tried to fit them, it was literally killing me. And as a kid, as a 13-year-old who was told that I was supposed to marry the prince, and I knew that there was something really wrong, so I tried to fix it in all sorts of different ways, and when we try to change ourselves so dramatically, you know, it can get pretty dicey and pretty dangerous. And so I think if we talk about them just and openly and you can ask, you know, me and probably Jesse almost anything about this, um, I think there's, there's power in truth and in being honest that we fall. And that's okay, especially when you're on skis in snow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Seems bruises really likely. To show you. Yeah, I mean, she was telling me about, like, bunions on her feet. It's really gross. Like, her feet are not perfect. That's why I cover them up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Truth. Secrets. Secrets. So, so that sort of leads to my next question. When Tell us a time that it, you find it really hard right now. You find it really hard to make peace with yourself, to have a peaceful moment in your skin. What, what's hard for you? Well, I think for me, especially when I was younger, but this is something that doesn't just poof, go away, um, 
is that I always thought that, you know, if you want to be an endurance athlete or any athlete, but especially an endurance sport, I always thought, oh, you have to have like 0% body fat and like, I don't even know what that means really. I'm like, right. I don't know. It means you're really sick. I was going to say, I, I think it means you're not doing too well. But right. um, I always thought like, oh, I have to have like the perfect body composition and train perfectly and eat the perfect foods and sleep the perfect number of hours and, and do everything perfectly. And I think the key word there is perfect because we aren't perfect, none of us are. And um, I think that for me, I really struggled to be at peace with myself because I never realized that what I was doing was good enough. And when I started my eating disorder when I was 18, I was doing well in ski races, so I don't know why I felt like what I was doing was not enough, but I kept holding on to the idea of being perfect and wanting to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and not giving myself credit for, hey, Maybe the body composition I'm at is why I don't get sick. It's why I don't get injured. It's why I can train all these hours. It's why when I fall, I don't just snap. I can bounce back up from the snow and I have a few bruises, but it's fine. And I, I wasn't giving my body credit for the way it was. And, in, and I eventually learned um, that, you know, holding on to perfection and using my eating disorder was a way of trying to have control and trying to feel like in a, in a world where you can't control a lot of things and in a sport where you can't control a lot of things. You know, like you don't know if your wax is the fastest. You don't know if someone's going to crash into you. Someone might break your pole. You cannot control those things and you cannot control your competitors. And instead of just focusing on, hey, I'm going to set some goals. I'm going to get after them the best I can. And I'm going to focus on what I can control. You know, I'm going to warm up. I'm going to eat a good pre-race breakfast that's going to fuel me. Um, I was focusing on the one thing that was easiest to control in the moment, which was the number on the scale, which in fact was the smallest amount of help in my, in my athletic career. And in fact, when I finally let that go and decided to embrace my strength and say, wow, you know, whatever my body composition is, who cares? Because I have super strong legs and that has made me the fastest downhill skier in the world. And that has made me pass some really, really fast skiers in crucial moments of a race, like the Olympics. Like, that's what I needed to focus on and to embrace my strengths and to say, these are the parts of me, maybe they're not perfect. And I say that in quotes because <laughs> it doesn't need to be perfect, but they're the parts that I have that make me really strong. And once I started to focus on that, it helped me find peace with myself and let go of that notion of being perfect because perfect is so boring. Perfect does not win races. And I can tell you that because I've tried it. <laughs> How about you? Uh, rephrase the question one more the time. The question is, tell us about a time when it's hard, when it's hard to, to keep being you, to keep Let me log on to my social media accounts <laughs> and just read you a few, but I don't think it's that kind of podcast. Um, Every day is hard, I think, to be honest, or every day can be hard. Um, sometimes it, it, it can, even the highest moments can feel lonely or you can feel inauthentic to them or that you didn't deserve them. There's an internal voice in there that doesn't want to stop shouting. Um, and there's external voices that live mostly on the internet I haven't met them in real life because no one would say the things I think to my face that they say to me on the internet. I certainly hope not. I haven't had that encounter. Um, and so I think that we have to be honest about this dual life, especially as someone, I'm 42, I didn't have to endure that at 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, that is a whole 
a whole different set of what they may say about you. Um, and, and that is, is damaging and uh, scary. And I'm so sorry that we live in a world that that exists. Um, but so those things can be hard and I have to refocus my attention to realizing that, and sometimes it's difficult and some nights I just go home and watch like really bad television and <laughs> I do and I just shut it all down because that's like taking the break that I need to take to be able to get up the next day or maybe the next day and fight the good fight again because I truly believe there are more good people than bad and I don't think that it really gives anyone any joy to tear someone else down in a real way. I think hurt people hurt people. I think they're shouting at you for something that they're shouting at themselves. Those things can hurt if I get caught up in them and if I shout back, I'm hurting too. It's a terrible, nasty cycle of cruelty. Those are the days that I struggle with and what's really interesting is what Jesse said, I consider myself someone that lives in recovery with an eating disorder, and here's the reason I say that. It has nothing to do with body image anymore because certainly the, I mean, there's other things going on in there that I cannot control. Um, it's that control factor. If I can't control what's happening on the outside, and I can't because no matter what some may say, I cannot control the news cycle. I can't, I don't have that kind of power. Um, I can't control behavior. I can't, when I, when the, I see things spiraling out or if I'm getting attacked, if I can't control the outside, I'll start to control the inside as habit, mm -hmm. as, a, as a person who had an addiction, mm -hmm. as a person who had an addiction to trying to control something so I didn't feel like I was living in chaos. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, because I've been through treatment and because I have, it's been so many years, I can catch myself. And I'm like, okay, slow down. Like... You're starting to like put your seatbelt back on. Let's just chill. And I and I need to take that time. And I, I'm a big advocate, like I already said, I think mental health is human health. I think we need to give each other the time and the space to say, whoa, 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 what's going on? And take a step back mm -hmm. and make sure that we're making healthy choices. Um, and so for me, that's where I, it can spiral out. You know, it's just like picking a scab, basically. And, and I have to be mindful of that because of where I've been. I, I love what you said about like you, you feel a tendency to isolate yourself in the highest moments and the lowest moments. I feel like as humans, we tend to do that when things are going really, really well and when things are going really, really poorly, that's when we tend to pull back and isolate ourselves. And that's actually, those are the moments when you need to really surround yourself with your team. And by team, I mean like your friends, your family, the people who you know are always gonna be there for you no matter what's going on. Because I think that when you're not doing well, it's important to reach out and tell your team like, hey, I need help. I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. Someone was super mean in school. Someone was a terrible person online. Or like I'm feeling like I'm struggling with my own self-confidence. Just being able to reach out and then in the highest moments, not isolate yourself as well. I think that's really, really important. This is a fun exercise I do um, that anybody can do, really, in any space, any age. And I know it sounds hokey pokey, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, so what I like to do is I usually will drive, and if you don't have a driver's license, don't worry, there'll be one for you. Um, I'll go to a town or that, you know, maybe 40, 50 miles away, and I'll go walk around, you know, I'll pick a town, I'll go to one, I'll walk around the town square, I'll, you know, go into a cafe and I will literally 
start to I'll start a conversation with as many people as I can. Not in a weird way, but maybe with the, somebody at the coffee shop or at the gas station. How are you? Oh, I really like that hat. Like it looks really nice or something like that. The the reinforcement you get from actually human kindness is the best drug in the world. And I'm not doing it inauthentically. I don't want it to sound trite like that. I, I genuinely love interactions with strangers. It's why I started doing this job in the first place. I just like talking to strangers. It was stranger danger in the third grade, and it never got any better. Uh, I think that there's really, there's again, there's power in human connection. The world's trying to tell you that there's not, and divide us, and you're on this side, and you're on that side. It doesn't have to be that way. You can do it online, too. My fiance actually was the one that taught me how to do this, but she didn't do it on purpose. She came upstairs. She's, a, she's painfully shy. There's an opposite for everybody. Um, and she said, I really like this one person's poem. And, and I heard they're on the, the, she calls it the Twitter. And I really want to tell them, is it like super dorky if I just say I liked your poem? And I'm like, no, that's amazing. I think when people stop me or say something kind to me, I'm just like, that is so nice that you took the time out to do that. Um, that that's going to matter to that person because they're like, wow, my skiing, my poem, my anything made you feel better today or made you think today. And wow, you just put a smile on my face. So I think there are little exercises that we can take. You can do it in your school. You can do it at your mall. You can do it on your Facebook page. You can do it on your Instagram. You can do it any way you want. Um, I just strongly encourage in a world that encourages us to keep a piece of glass in between us, whether that be, unfortunately, a TV screen, a windshield, a phone, an iPad, take it down every once in a while and just go out and just talk. I love that. I really love that. Thank you. That's awesome. So we think a lot about people who are really struggling with, with body image issues or they, they know they have an eating disorder or they think they have an eating disorder or they just don't know if their relationship with food is okay or they just kind of know something's wrong. And the, the, the next probably right thing to do would be to tell somebody, just like you're saying, to, to reach out. Any, any advice on, on getting over that sort of fear or that nervousness? I know, Jesse, you've talked about sort of how hard it was to make that first phone call, but, but asking for help. Like, I totally agree. That's the thing to do. But... There yeah. seems like this huge activation energy to get over that. Any thoughts on, on what could, people could do for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it is so, that's the first, like, big hill to get over. Sorry, everything's a sports metaphor. <laughs> and uh, can't help it. But it is, it's so hard to take that first action of asking for help and sharing with someone. And I think, for me, it was so hard because eating disorders had such a taboo around them. And it was such a, like oh, you have one of those? Like, you know, and it was it was so, it, there was so much shame around it and so much anxiety, and, like, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone. And that's why I'm here talking to all you people about it, because I want you to know that, like, great people have them, and people that you never thought had an eating disorder, they had them, and, like, we all know somebody who has had an eating disorder or had one in the past or will have one in the future, unfortunately, and so there's so much more common than you think. And so being able to go to someone and say, hey, I'm worried that I might, you know, have a poor relationship with food right now. I think I might need help. Can we talk about it? Is so brave. It's the best thing you can ever do. And we need to make sure that we're open to receive that kind of request for help from people in our lives. That they come up to us and they say, hey, I don't know, but like maybe I have an eating disorder. It's like, 
thank you for telling me. It's not like, oh, you do. It's like, <laughs> thank you for telling me. How can I help you? And I think we want to make sure that that is the response. Is like, maybe I'm not the expert. Maybe I don't know exactly how to, how to help you help yourself. But I'm here for you. And I care about you. And that's the best thing we can say. Because I think sometimes we get really scared to talk about it. Because we're worried that we're going to say the wrong thing. And just saying, like, I'm not an expert. But. I care about you, the person, and I want to be there for you is such a good way to go. And when you are asking someone for help, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that there's something wrong with you. Like, that was so huge for me when I went to the EMILY program and got a little education on what eating disorders actually are because in your eighth grade health class, they don't tell you, or hopefully now they do, let me know. But they didn't tell me that it's actually like a mental illness. It's not your fault. I just thought I was a bad kid who like couldn't have the self-control or willpower to take better care of my body. And so that contributed to so much shame because I didn't want to admit that I had a problem because I thought it was just my problem. And I didn't realize that, hey, there's things I can do to get over this, but it's not my fault for having one. And so I think realizing that if you do think you have a problem, telling someone, it's just like saying, hey, I fell down and I you know, kind of broke my arm. They're not going to be like, oh, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> They're not going to say, hopefully, they won't say that. They're going to say, how can I help you? I care about you. I want you to get better. Let me take you to a doctor. That's the response we need. Yeah, that, and it's a huge change. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a little older than Jesse. Um, and I was younger at the time. So, you know, my, I, I, would, I would love to tell you a story that I came to a realization or admitted there was something going on, but that's not true. Um, mine was in, I was the early 1990s. Uh, I was in the full battle um, that I would never acknowledge because I was an early teenager in a small town, and God bless my mother for, at that time, it's like pre-internet days of trying to figure out, like, how do you get help? And at that time, um, you would go tell the family doctor about that, and you were shunned. Um, there were a lot of options, but doggone it, my mom found one and, you know, basically tricked me into going. She told me it was for sports and that I had, needed to go to get a checkup because I missed the school checkup to get my physical to participate in, in athletics. And we were at a hospital and I was like, that's weird. And she had a duffel bag and, and I was in treatment. Uh, and I was there for a long time and I was so angry. So I couldn't even say the words um, because I felt like I was getting labeled again. I'm like, you guys are just weak. I can control everything. Um, and so it took me a long time. And so I think kind of what, like what Jesse was saying, I completely agree. Somebody may not have the language. Somebody may be going through it that's super young and is, is just not ready to talk about that just yet. Uh, and so we need to find out, just like think of it like you're in a maze. You know, what is the way in to tell this person that I care about them and that we need to open a conversation, and it doesn't have to be direct. I remember at that time, people in my town, it was really interesting, right? Because I was trying to beat them at the own game. I'm going to get skinny enough so boys like me, but clearly that wasn't what was going on. I just wasn't even near the conversation about my sexual orientation yet. So it just went in phases for me. Um, and so I'm like, OK, so I'm going to look like the girls in these magazines. And then the minute it got too far, 
that you got to this thin number, then it was you were vilified for a different reason, like, oh, you heard about that shortle girl, you know, don't talk to her. I mean, parents didn't want their kids to like come over and play with me. It was just kind of crazy. All I'm saying is that we need to be able to have these conversations in ways that don't always have to be so direct. You know, people would approach me and be like, well, you have this. And I just was angry because I was 13. And I'm like, well, you don't get to say that. And so I wasn't even able to, to have that treatment come to me at a level that could save my life at that time because I felt like I was being attacked and that other people were making decisions for me and that nobody really knew what was going on. And the reality was I was a sad little kid trapped inside of there, but everybody wanted to just throw four candy bars at me and say, eat them, which is just kind of silly. But it is a way that if people see you struggling, they want to fix it right away. And we have to treat this as the mental health issue that it is for some of us as well, that you need to go in deeper. And however you get into that space, just try to get into it with empathy and dignity and kindness. And I have to say, I can't, like what you said with the candy bars, I can't tell you how many times people would say, well, oh my God, just eat a burger. <laughs> it's like, is, that's not going to fix it. Right. <laughs> First of all, they won't eat it. Second of all, that won't fix it. So just having the understanding that it isn't really about the food. It almost, like it's never about the food. It's always about the underlying issue. Like why do you feel like you need control in your life? And so, and, and it is hard because like, like you said, with the anger, like I was also really angry and my mom is sitting here and she is amazing because she had to sit me down probably like 28 times <laughs> and, um, and I just didn't want to admit that there was something going on. I didn't want to admit that I had a problem and I, I didn't want to talk about it and I was on top of that, I was being a teenage girl so it was just really, really tough for my parents all around. But um, I just wanted to refuse help in any form. And I think that if you are a parent or a friend or a teammate or a coach of someone and they, you can see that they're, they're not happy, they're not themselves, they're, they're struggling in some way, know that if they are mad at you, it's not going to be forever. <laughs> Someday they're going to come to you and say, thank you for saving my life. So it's, it's worth letting them be a little mad at you for a there should while. be a yeah there should be excuse me a, a whole podcast because for moms yeah. of and dads of those of us um because I think that their story is equally as powerful and I can't and I I still to this day I can't it's hard for me because I, I know how hurt my mom was mm -hmm. and it wasn't her fault it never was her fault right yeah. right absolutely yeah, that's it, lack of information, right? Mm -hmm. Parents don't know, medical providers don't know, coaches don't know, teachers don't know. I had the same experience, had an eating disorder, went to my family doctor, and he said, when are we going to be done with this? Mm -hmm. Sounds about right. I, like, I don't, didn't realize it had a little button that pops out of the turkey. Oh, thanks. Us, oh, you done. went to medical school. Oh, that's awesome. I don't think you'd say, when are you going to be done with that broken arm? Mm -mm. Yeah. Which I was really angry about, and... He just yeah. didn't know, right? So hopefully we're getting a little bit further down the road. But that is a great idea for the next podcast, sure. which somebody will get an invitation to be on. <laughs> so here's a little sort of change in the direction, but kind of in the same vein. What do you admire about each other? Oh, I got to go first. <laughs> um, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I'll talk for a while. I'll give you time. Um, no, I just, I love how you are just so yourself and you are so like the whole theme of this podcast is being at peace with yourself. And even if, 
you know, because we, we all know that on the inside, we have days that it's hard and we have days when it doesn't feel easy to be at peace with ourselves, but you exude this confidence and this is like this sort of aura of this is who I am and that's cool and it is cool and you inspire people to just be confident and be able to like what again like walk the first time I met you you walked in and you're like how's it rolling like what do we do like what are we talking about today and it was so I was like wow we've we been friends for 10 years like this is so cool you just instantly like allow people to just love you and that's such a cool quality that you would just open up to people and you're like we're friends now and you're and you're not so we can be so guarded in this day and age and be so closed off and so oh, I don't know like you're kind of a stranger and you're just like no let's chat about whatever and I think that's such an amazing quality and one that I think if we all could just want to be friends with people right away maybe the world would be a better place so we need more of that. Thank you. Um, I don't pay her at all. She's endorsed <laughs> by all sorts of people. I don't, yeah. Um, and God bless. Um, I, every day, wake up and I'm humbled and blessed to live in a world where I get to meet um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Uh, when I met you, it was through this organization, really. I mean, I was a fan. Um, but, uh, and to be able to, you know, go to your home and talk to you about something very serious that we both knew a lot about seems so easy. Um, and think about that. I mean, I can't imagine when I was 10 years old living in Jerseyville, Illinois, don't Google it, it barely even comes up, it's not big. Um, we didn't have snow either. Like, I could not have ever fathomed that I would, I would ever be in the same room as a gold medalist, let alone get to talk to one. Um, so I, I realize how, how blessed my life turned out to get to have conversations with people like that. And to be able, there is something so special that happens, and it doesn't happen all the time, unfortunately, but Jessie's one of those people who what you see is what you get. And that's why she's sharing this part of her life, because I'm certain that 20 years ago, agents, sponsors, brands would not have wanted her to tell this story. Um, but she tells it with reckless abandon and tells it with truth and honesty. And, and, and it will change people's lives because I promise you if somebody contacts her that she will respond to them with kindness and dig dignity. And I knew that in the first 10 minutes of, of speaking to her. And I, as a person who grew up with no athletic ability whatsoever, but who loved sports in a way that was just kind of bonker Kong <laughs> and still does, I, to see a woman fierce in her power and graceful in her mistakes and mistakes that made her into the gold medalist that she is before you, to have that kind of woman on your wall on a poster didn't happen when I was a kid. And darn it, had it, things might have been different. So because we have role models like this in sport as women saying, I fell down and I got back up. Can change the course of the people we try to emulate. Dang. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to you at, before every single race now. <laughs> Can you be my hype? hype yes. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs>
It was beautiful. Wow. It so, is true, though, right? It's totally true. You know, it's it, absolutely it, true about both of you. If, if, if I had kids and they came home and said, I want to be Jesse Diggins someday, I'd be like, I'm the greatest parent ever. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Do that. Do all I, of it. I got a kid that says, you get to talk to Janice Shortle and Jesse Diggins. I want to be both of them. Is that possible? <laughs> like, you get to be you. That's the awesome part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's very true, actually. Um, I look, and I'm sure you're, you're like this, too. When folks, it's one thing to, like, have role models. Great, I have them as well. But always remember, you're the only you there is. We don't get another one. You are perfectly unique, and some use that as, like, a derogatory thing, like you're a snowflake. I like snowflakes. You like snow. Um, it's beautiful. They're so gorgeous. Uh, and I think that's really special. I, every, I, I have the great privilege of meeting, like I said, all different types of people for my job. None of them are the same. Um, and I think that's super rad. We only get one life. Be you. I love that because it is, it's great to have role models, but you don't want to exactly be them. You want to figure out what you love and what makes yeah. you tick and what are your strengths and, and what... Like, how can you find a way to make the world a little bit better using what you have? And that's going to look different. And I want to, yeah, and for sure. And I want to say that I didn't know that um, for, like, most of my life. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm junior high and high school. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be different. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to be the coolest person at all times and at many times probably hurting kids' feelings or being a terrible person along the way desperately wanting just to be liked. That was it. Just like me. And then like my, you know, as I grow older, like my Instagram, like my social media pages. But it was just a really empty way to live because it's at the end of the day, if all you're living for is likes, who are? What, what do you care about? What are you passionate about? What blows your hair back? Start to explore those things. Like, I mean, the songs I like, the movies I like, the books I like, the thing, clothes I like may not be the most popular but I really like them, and it's super fun. Like, I went to a Celine Dion concert last night, and it ruled. <laughs> it ruled, you guys. And I don't care if that makes me uncool, because me and 16,000 other people were like, this is amazing, uh, and I'm sure there's lots of cooler things I could have done, but whatever, I had a great time. <laughs> awesome. So what do you feel peaceful about or grateful about yourself? One thing you're really grateful for about you. Oh, like about us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about you, oh. yourself. I was about to go all external, like, I'm grateful there's a World Cup coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for all these skiers sitting in front of me. Um, that's a harder question. And I think that's actually an interesting statement that when we were asked to talk about what we like about each other, we're both like, let's just end the podcast yeah. here because we can fill the next right. 30 minutes. Right. But when you have to talk about what you like about yourself, I think that is something that is hard and yeah I I guess I like that I prioritize my team and I I am a good teammate and I like that about myself because it's it's easy to be a good friend because you get to pick your friends right you get to pick the people that you click with pick the people you want to go have a sleepover with pick the people you want to go to the movies with you don't get to pick who you end up on a team with, and you have to figure out how to support them, how to create these super important bonds, how to live with them 
in my case, for five months of the year and still love each other at the end of it. And I think that's one of my biggest strengths is being able to uh, find, like, something I love and admire about every one of my teammates. And, you know, maybe we weren't naturally, all of us, going to be best friends, although it sort of turned out that way. <laughs> but, um, like, I've just come from a summer of going to their wedding, so it, it was awesome. But initially just seeing like what do I admire about this person what do I respect about them what do I like about them and how can I help them succeed and how can they help me succeed how can we work together and um, I think that's just something that I think we all have the ability to be each other's best teammates and best cheerleaders and so that's awesome that's thing. Isn't it interesting that if I were to give you a paper and I said, okay, on side A, write down all the things you like about yourself, and on side B, write all the things you don't like about yourself, how easy it would be to fill out side B without even thinking twice, and that you'd stare at side A a little bit. That's, and my brain is automatically, and the reason I bring that up is because even when you ask that question, it, uh, it, it, there's somehow in the transmission of it, I hear it, I understand it, and then I start automatically, like that control thing, I'm like, oh, I don't really like that, oh, I don't like that, ew, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, God, I hope Jesse talks longer, because i got to find But just to go through that, I'm like, okay, process, pro uh, oh, wow, that was intense. Like, I just went through all the things I don't like. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, now let's think about things I do like. So I've said the word like a bunch of times just to really hone in on what this question is about. I like after a whole lifetime, no different from any of yours, of hurdles placed on the track that I found myself. And what I like about that is and while I'm not done yet, because none of us are ever done, um, is that it has somehow opened me up in ways that I could never have imagined the beauty of was where other people ask me how I got there. And I do, I look at them like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not anywhere. So what I've chosen to do as best I can is open myself up in ways. The reason you see me on social media so present is that I want to be available to people who need a flashlight. Uh, so I have lots of relationships with young people um, or people older than me, all ages, all genders. And I have a lot of pen pals now, people I've never met and probably never will. Um, and we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about things that I'm pretty public about. We disagree about things. And, and I think it's really interesting. It's sad that it has to happen in a pen pal relationship way. But hey, that's what the internet's for. And I learn a lot through these conversations because they're really challenging. And I like that, that I put myself in a position to have them. Also, this is probably going to be on a podcast. And I hope I don't get in trouble for having these pen pals for my boss. But um, <laughs> it's really meaningful to me. And it's really powerful. Um, I just imagine a world where I'm like, wow, I wonder one day if I could go to a coffee shop with these people and I wonder who they are. I wonder where they live. I wonder, I don't know. They get to know who I am, but I don't know who they are other than their first names and a number on an email address. And I like that. I love that you do that. And I think it's so cool that 
the things we say we like about ourselves have nothing to do with our appearance. Nothing to do with, like, genetically just what we were born with. Because we can't control that. And it's like, instead of being like, I like my hair, I like my nails, I like my dress, I like my shoes. Like, those are great things and you're allowed to like them. But you can't control that. And you do get to control your personality. Well, to some degree. (laughs) Um, But you do get to control if you're nice to people. You get to control if you reach out to people and look for ways like you do to make their life better. And you get to control how you act and how you interact. And those are things that I think we want to be the most proud of. It's not what we look like. It's how we act. And I think that when we think about ourselves, think about what we like about ourselves and where, you know, if, if there is something where you're like, oh, I want to do better at this, it's, it shouldn't be about what we were just genetically born with. It should be what we choose to do with what we have. Yeah. I love the, the illustration of, of it being hard for both of you to find something to say positive when, when I could ask everybody here and they'd give you a million things and you could talk about each other forever. But giving ourselves permission to like something mm-hmm. is hard. And I think that probably comes from society and lots of different places, but it's hard to give ourselves permission to be like, it's okay, you can you can like something. And maybe that's why social media has become what it's been able to become. You can put a picture of yourself where you know intrinsically you're thinking, you're like, that's probably, the, that's my best picture. I put that one out there. You're internally saying, I like this about me. I look good here. Or I'm having fun here. Or wow, I picked the best restaurant or whatever. You are liking that then. And yet you're, and then, it, and then it's there for other people to respond and like or not like. I'm getting into like a deep metaphor about the whole like <laughs> business is. here right now. It's um, a good one though. But yeah, I think it's it's something to think about for all of us mm-hmm. as, as we think about the things that we could like about ourselves. If you do any exercise tonight, pick three things. By the end of the day, tell yourself three things that you really like about yourself. Yeah. That's something I work on a lot with my wonderful sports psychologist. Shout out to Lauren. But um, she, like I was having a tough time the other week and it's, I, she was like, I want you to do a little gratitude journaling. And I was like, Oh, come on. Like, come on. And she's like, no, I mean it. Like, set a timer and for five minutes, write down, even if it's like on a napkin, write down all these things that you're grateful for. And I was like, grateful for my mom, grateful for my dad. And it like started out pretty slow. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like I just got into it. And I was like, there's all these things that are going great. Like, I don't know why I'm so bummed out today. Cause like, there's all these amazing things in my life. And so it's it's a good reminder that we all have tough times, but it's we can definitely we have the power to pull ourselves out of it by just reminding, like even if it's internally, just listing three things you're grateful for, three things you like about yourself. You're like, wow, like this isn't so bad after all. Right, it's possible. If we gave ourselves permission, that'll change the world. What? So you both have opportunities, have platforms from from which to influence others. You both have influence over a, a, a pretty broad swath of people. What do you make you an influencer? <laughs> Might. <laughs> it does now. Oh, I signed up for the internet the same way everybody else did. <laughs> but what do you hope people take? Just one thing, or more than one thing. What do you hope people take from your experience of sharing your your real self? I guess. My big hope for everyone in the room and everyone listening is that you don't have to be perfect because that was my big hurdle 
and that was why I'm here in the first place at the Emily program. And I think my big take is that, you know, I, I try more and more on social media to share my funny fails where I fell on my face on the snow and, and tripped over my own pole. And it was like, wasn't that silly? But hey, it wasn't perfect. And it was very funny. And this is, you know, I get to try to share the sides of myself that aren't perfect because we don't have to be perfect. We get to set goals and work on them. And if we do reach them, we set new goals. But it's never about being perfect because you're never going to reach a point in your life where you're like, sweet, I'm set. I'm good. I love everything about myself the way I am. Thank you so much. But if you do reach that, let me know. Call me because that's so cool. But most of the time, we're never perfect, and that's okay. Um, I hope that, I mean, I hope that I can be a positive influence in whatever, whatever piece that, that of me that is helpful for that. That's fantastic. Um, if and I think that has to be different for every person that chooses to engage with me. Um, I ask myself too often, probably, or maybe not often enough, how I got here and what I'm supposed to be doing. And that can be a pressure cooker, right? Um, as to what I'm supposed to say or do the right thing. And then I center myself with that piece of like, there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth. Listen more than you talk. Everybody has two ears and one mouth. We could do a better job of listening to each other. And I think that if anything I want to, if anybody takes any part of my story, it is to inspire them that they are their own story, that they are the, the only one there is. That listening is never the worst idea, even when somebody's shouting at you or saying cruel things, to really think about why that might be. It, it Don't be quick to anger. Um, I have been, and, and you can go on my social media pages and, and, and say, but you did it, and like, does that really help? I know I'm not perfect, and I stopped trying to be because it's, it's chasing a dragon that you're never gonna catch. And so if we can all realize that we're all here in this one life together, in this space and time on the planet, and if we did try to help each other a little bit more and fight a little bit less, even though we do have differences, and that's fine, but we could listen and try and understand each other a little bit. And if I can encourage anybody to do that better than I've done it, because I know I haven't been perfect at it, uh, maybe we could come at each other a little more kindly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do, do either of you have a saying or a mantra or something you go to? You've, you've said a few things, but sort of that saying you go to when you have times of self-doubt or the self-talk gets a little, little wild in there. Where do you go? What's helpful for you? Um, it's so funny on my birthday, a couple coworkers made these like basically like posters for me at work for things that I would write notes to myself on. I think if there were anything that I look at more often than not, uh, one of them is a quote from James Baldwin and I will not get it perfectly right. And James Baldwin is my favorite writer. So I won't even try to talk about what it actually says, but it has to do with being able to be critical, and that doesn't being critical of something mean, does not mean that you hate it. It means that you love it, actually, and you love something so much that you need to be critical of it because you want it to get better. Uh, the second is, is, I mean, the one I, I say all the time and write down all the time on my own hand, and it's um, from former First Lady Michelle Obama. Whenever they go low, we go high. I think when I'm having a tough day or worried about something or nervous before a race, 
got a lot of races to be nervous for. <laughs> um, I just say control what you can and let the rest go because we can't control everything in races, in life, in relationships, in our work life. We cannot control everything. But if we focus on doing the things that we can control to the best of our ability, you can just give yourself permission to let the rest go and just see how it turns out. And so I just focus on getting prepared for my race the best that I can, like having the best relationship that I can, seeing my family as much as I can, like all the things that I can control and then letting the rest of it go. It's beautiful. Playlists are really good too. Ooh, I was terrified about a month ago. I had to do a new thing for work that I had never done before. And the reason I had never done it is because I was scared of it. And so I was driving to this event when the day finally came and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I need a barf bag. Like this is <laughs> like, we were like, this must be what it feels like to like go to races and stuff. Because I'm like, oh man, everything physiologically is just like <laughs> shutting down. Uh, music is really fun for me, and I mean, I was that girl crying on like 169, going from, I was the Moana soundtrack, I was like, <laughs> no one knows <laughs> how far I'll go, that song will take you places, Celine Dion, banger, I'll oh, tell you. See, Disney's come around. Disney's come, right, come yeah, around. yeah, Moana, I was like, there was, she was not there to marry nobody, she was just like, I'm gonna run this island, I was like, Yeah! <laughs> Moana. <laughs> it's the answer. <laughs> the answer to everything. It, Moana. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions from the audience. So this one's for Jesse. What's your favorite animal? Yes. Like, well, right now my favorite animal is our dog, Leo, whose real name is Napoleon. Um, so he's my favorite animal at the moment. But generally, yeah, I guess, yeah, in general, I'm just a dog person. They just love you so much. <laughs> they do. You can leave the room, come back two seconds later. You're home again. Yes. So exciting. Exactly. Yeah. We run that prank sometimes. It's <laughs> the best. All right, Jana, this one's for you. What got you interested in journalism and uh, what got you interested in journalism and eating disorder recovery? So I think there's two questions in there. Uh, oh, well, they both kind of happened around the same time. Um, uh, it was, it, and this is a serious. It's not a serious story. It really did. So after I got out of treatment, I was in outpatient treatment, and my mom had to make me these, like, three squares a day, and they would, like, put me in this chair, and, like, you must sit here and eat your food. And I'm like, okay, because it's about food, everybody. Um, and I was watching, and so my treat was I got to watch uh, ESPN, and that was the coolest thing in the world because I love sports so much. And so I'm watching ESPN and SportsCenter comes on. This is the early 90s again. So SportsCenter is in its early inception days. And I got to watch people talk about sports in a way that was almost like comedy and that was entertaining and very different from the very boring local news. And I would just looked at it and I was like, Pfft. my mom came downstairs and she's like, how's it going? I'm like, I'm going to do that. She's like, you're going to do what? I'm like, I'm going to be on TV like that. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, then you should finish your oatmeal. Um, I was like, fine. Uh, I did. And, it, and I think because it, it probably, this is where things that got me into trouble actually helped me. Mm -hmm. My determination, my grit, and my control issues were like, no, I'm doing that. I was 14. 
42. Yeah. yeah so good, good use of those genetics. Turn them around. Yeah, it's like you can use these way. forces for good. <laughs> uh, and in terms of recovery, I think because my experience um, – my experience was at such a young age, it was very isolating. It was very painful for my family because of the way it was talked about back then. And the reality of how many people it affects that's, that even go and get treatment, but the reality of how many more people have disordered relationships with food as they're growing into their, their bodies um, is something that I think if we don't talk about that we're being complicit in a national epidemic. Yeah. Jesse, this one's for you. How long did it take you, how long did it take for you to be able to ski really fast without falling down a lot? <laughs> I got news for you, whoever wrote that. <laughs> I still fall down a lot. <laughs> Maybe it didn't happen today, but I still crashed. But I had a year in seventh or eighth grade where I literally crashed every single race because I was trying so hard that I would push so hard on the uphills that I couldn't feel my legs. And the downhill would kind of be like, into a snowbank, and I'd get up, like into another snowbank. And my coaches were just like, what is she doing? If she ever learns how to stay on her feet, she's going to be fast someday, maybe. We don't know. She keeps falling down. And uh, I started to get really serious about balance training. And so for about four years, every time I brushed my teeth, I would stand on one foot for the upper teeth, one foot for the bottom teeth. Great trick if you want to actually brush your teeth for two minutes. Um, but I would literally, I would like lace up my shoes while standing on one foot. I would do everything to try to like get myself a little bit more comfortable with not falling down. And also I learned how to fall a little better because when you fall on roller skis, um, you pay for it <laughs> in your skin. So, um, but yeah, there's definitely a learning curve. It wasn't, again, the theme of perfection. It was not perfect right away, and it still is not, and it never will be, and I'm still going to have races where I fall. But the important thing is that I get up, and I keep hammering. I just got this mental picture of everybody in the audience here tonight <laughs> brushing their teeth on one leg and saying what you like about yourself. <laughs> And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Just, you know, Instagram that. It's going to be great. It's going to be balanced dental health and mental health all in one Solved. thing. That's great. Serious multitasking. Jana, this one's for you. Uh, how much time do you spend on the news in terms of how much time does it take you to research and, and formulate a story? Uh, it, I mean, forever. Um, <laughs> it depends. Every day is different. I usually spend at least two and a half hours before I go to work and then about 10 hours at work. It's a long day. Uh, but it's it doesn't, I don't know, I really like it. So, um, but it's not like arduous. I spend a lot of time just, you know, it's like looking for something. Again, it's almost like it's a sport with no athletic ability and like <laughs> information, 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 ask the right people, ask the right questions. Where is this leading? Where is that leading? Solve a puzzle kind of things. Um, and so I, it can take anywhere from, from 12 hours a day to I can interview a really rad kid like you. Uh, and that only takes like an hour. Yeah. So depends. And this one's for both of you. What would you do if you didn't do what you do right now? What would you do if you weren't a newscaster? What would you do if you didn't ski? What else would you do? <laughs> I mean, I'd be a, a, a gold medalist. <laughs> Clearly. I'd be a newscaster. <laughs> uh, look at me. <laughs> I 
I think I would maybe be a dance teacher, like for little kids. Yeah. I'd be a kindergarten teacher. Awesome. I love the, the young people theme. So closing thoughts. What do you want people to walk out with other than the awesome idea of standing on one foot, brushing your teeth, yeah. thinking about the three things you like about yourselves? Do it. <laughs> totally do that. Everybody do that. Uh, but any closing thoughts on what do you want to leave people with about this struggle we all share to try to not be perfect, to try to be ourselves, to try to be in the skin we're in with, with gratitude for ourselves? I would challenge yourself after you do the teeth brushing and say what you like about yourself, to be really aware of if you, when you criticize another human being. So sports are easy, right? Because um, if Jesse falls down and costs Erica the World Cup or whatever, <laughs> you're going to say on Twitter, I can't even believe you get out of bed in the morning, right? We do it with Kirk Cousins every other Sunday, depending on who he throws to, which color the jersey is. God bless his soul. He is a human being. So I just want, I always like people to be mindful of, of um, not like is the wrong word, but just be, be aware um, of, of why you're criticizing another human being. It's fine to criticize their football, like, wow, Kirk really didn't have a very good game today. That was a really bad game for an NFL quarterback. That's fine. Not Kirk is a blank, 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 blank. I don't, I don't know why I'm using him. It's just the football seems to get the worst. Um, same with me. I'm not perfect. I may make a mistake. I may not wear your favorite shirt every single day. It's not incredibly helpful for me for you to then email me and tell me how bad of a person I am and to do that. I want to be the person, and Jesse probably can be a person too, that like to just to remind everybody in the world that we're people. And it, it actually does hurt. The biggest lie I was ever told, and I've been told a lot of them, was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. They do hurt. Um, so be mindful with what you choose to say to other people or about other people. I love that because it's true. Words can really hurt, and I think that choosing to say the kindest words possible to people around you is such a gift that you can give someone else. It's free. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It shouldn't be too hard to find something nice to say about someone else. And I, I, I love that, like what you said earlier about like just helping other people. Like I remember I was really bummed out one day and my dad challenged me. I was at a training camp to find a genuine compliment for everyone on the team by the time the camp was done. And so I would just look around more and notice like, oh my gosh, like, wow, Simi's been working on his double pole. It looks amazing. And then I would tell him after noticing, I would say, oh, I need to tell you, wow, you've been working really hard on this. And I see that you've been working hard. And you could tell when you let someone else know that you notice them and you notice what they're doing and you notice something great that they've worked on, it really lights them up. And then, you know, sort of like there's no real selfless act because then you feel pretty good about having made someone else's day. So it's really just a selfish thing. But, but it's, it's free. <laughs> it's a free. Selfish thing. It's easy. I was at this concert last night, and there are all these people around me, and I saw, oh, my gosh, people in front of me and behind me and next to me. Behind me and in front of me were uh, women with their moms, and their moms were probably about my age, so women about my age. Their moms were, like, crying. They were, it's so cliche, right? Moms were crying. 
girls were like hugging their moms at Celine Dion. I was like, this is so great. And I'm going to take all their pictures because I'd like to say I'm, I'm actually pretty good at taking pictures with my phone. It's part of my job. Um, so I took pictures of each of them. There was a couple next to us who have been married 52 years. It was their anniversary gift. They slow danced to one of the songs. I took a picture of them. And then after, go, I'm like, what is your phone number? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I took a picture of you, and I thought you might want to have it. And that's easy. That's so easy to do, right? And it was actually, it's not like way to go. It was an honor to be able to witness their human moments together. And I thought that was so cool. Super cool. Yeah. Was it the Titanic song? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I would have been crying too. Oh, always. I'm crying thinking about it. I'm going to go to my car because I created a special Celine playlist for that song. Pumped up. I'm going to watch that movie tonight, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, um, I haven't really announced this yet, but I would like to share it on the podcast that um, the guy I wrote a book with is sitting over there. Wave your hands up. <laughs> so Todd Smith helped me write my life story. It's a memoir. It's coming out in March. And we there's chapters. You've read them, Jillian. That awesome. go through the real highs and the real lows of different moments in my life. And um, part of it is about the Emily program and my time there and how I got into my eating disorder and, more importantly, how I got out of it and how important that was. And then, you know, there's some, some real fail stories about being stranded in the middle of Russia. Um, but <laughs> there's, that's, you can read about it later. But I just want to say it's, it's been, there's more, uh, it goes really, really in depth, but it's an honor and a privilege to share it. And I guess if I can leave you guys with one thought, it's that you don't have to be perfect. And embracing that vulnerability is so important because it's what makes us human. Beautiful. Yeah, I think, but what you both said about, you know, being with others and giving to others, also what you also said and struggled with a little bit is how do we do that for ourselves? So how do we take that minute and really give back to ourselves and recognize the awesomeness about ourselves? Even if it's just a tiny little thing that that's the only thing you can find, that's an awesome thing. But you guys are both incredibly awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. They're going to stick around and sign some uh, autographs at the table next to the stage. And we are going to do our, uh, our close out of this podcast. So thank you also for coming to our first ever live podcast and sharing your time with us. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast of Piecemeal, please tell your friends, share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on all the social media channels at Emily Program. Huge thank you to Jesse and Jana for the fantastic discussion today. You can watch Jana on Carol Evans Breaking the News and follow her on social at Jana Shortall and follow Jesse online and read her book at Jesse Diggins and see her in person in March in Minneapolis racing her heart out the World Cup. We're all really excited about that. So thank you very much. <laughs>